Okay. So I wanted to thank you first for agreeing to meet with me on my podcast. I was just wanting to kind of get your experiences and opinions on different things. And so with that being said, I'd like to introduce you to the Aggie Accountant podcast. I'm the host and author. And today I'm lucky to have Dr. Schaub with me. He has been a professor for me for two of my classes here at AM and as well as taught at many different universities and was coordinator and director of our professional accounting program at AM. And so he has a lot of experience with different professionals in the field of academia and accounting, as well as the public side of it. And so with that being said, I was hoping to have you expand a little more on your experiences just for a few minutes, if you'd like. Okay. Well, I've been in the profession since 1977. I have been a professor for 34 years. The last 17 have been here at A&M. I also taught at the University of Nebraska at Hillsdale College, the University of North Alabama and at St. Mary's University. Um, my specialty areas are auditing and accounting ethics. That's where both my teaching and research focuses have been. And um, I'm married to the world's most beautiful woman. Yes. Well, I know from having, uh, as you're for my professor for my auditing and now my ethics class right now, I've been able to learn a lot. And I know you have a very deep knowledge of different events and kind of how the accounting profession has changed throughout the years. And so one of the first questions that I wanted to talk about is more related on the ethics side. And I was reading your art or one of the blog posts you made on your website, the bottom line ethics. And I was reading about your take on the EY cheating scandal and how it was kind of, you had a different view than I had heard in terms of the education system is what you believe is kind of creating this more unethical business environment that we live in right now. And I just wanted to hear your take with another one of the members on the Forbes 30 under 30 list being charged with fraud just a few weeks ago, um, Charlie Javis with her company, Frank. Uh, is there anything that you see being done within the world of academia or something you think could be, I guess, changed, like one of the fundamental ways of how we do our education system that you could see this potentially getting better, helping helping us move past this environment where cheating is normalized and we are kind of encouraged to almost take those shortcuts when it's beneficial to us? Well, that's it's a big question, James. Um, it's it's uh, it's problematic the way we have the process set up. Uh, there's essentially only you know one measure or something that is a an outcome that is measured that determines your future, and so people learn that early on in school, and they have figured it out earlier and earlier. Um, it used to be historically, I think, the cheating that people did, probably they'd only had a couple of years experience of cheating in high school um, that had to be dealt with here when they came to Texas A&M. 
now I find people with a running start coming in here. They're around cheating from probably fifth or sixth grade in some systematic way. And people quickly become conscious of what they have to do to even get into a top university. And so they'll do whatever they have to do. Um, they're pushed, I think, by you know, well-meaning parents as well in terms of achieving top 10% or top 6% or whatever you need to get to the places you want to go. And so um, they, they're motivated to just calculate the consequences and they do a risk analysis and decide it's worth the cheating. And so they have this habit, I think, built by the time they get here. Um, I think historically we've done a reasonably good job of addressing that and of um, doing our best to squelch that and to uh, help people rethink um, what really matters at A&M. But it gets harder and harder. The outcome measures in the profession and the industry tend to drive people toward the same types of aspirational goals. It's all about achieving. It's not about becoming someone. It's all about achieving. And so the only measure of success is whether you get that top job coming out of school. So they operate under the same pressures. And I think, I think we have not, we've become less effective at both sanctioning that and really effectively sanctioning that and holding people's feet to the fire. And also at, um, giving people a vision for what life is about different than just maximizing free cash flow in your personal life. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's, it was definitely an, I kind of liked reading your article about it. It was a, a different take than what I had heard. I, you, cause I read a lot about the, all the Forbes 30 under 30, all the fraud with the different people like Elizabeth Holmes or Sam Bankman Freed. Um, and then they always blame, I guess, kind of, they're just the ones manipulating rather than us normalizing this shortcutting way of, you know, getting through the education system. This is, this is how we're taught to succeed and what we think the way is to succeed. So do you think moving forward, especially with people in my generation kind of having all of this chat, GBT and AI that's fueled, I, I think, more cheating in a lot of classes. Do you think this fraud that we've been seeing recently with these people that have become successful and then were uncovered as kind of phone, phony scams, do you think this will just increase in the years to come? Or do you think the AI and technology could maybe help us better identify some of this before it actually affects a lot of people and billions of dollars are ended up being lost? Well, the problem is that, yes, you can probably develop AI that detects um, certain things. So we see it seems hard right now to picture how you how you catch this stuff. Um, I think you probably can develop it, but just just becomes just a continuing game, James. You just go to the next level. So it's like trying to stay ahead of criminals, right? They develop the next thing and you find something to catch them and they develop the next thing and you find something to catch them. Um, if that's what it's down to, I wouldn't want to be part of higher education personally. If that's what it's down to, is just trying to come up with a faster machine to catch cheaters. Um, the, that, that's a, 
I mean, there are people who really enjoy jobs like that, but that's not what an educator's role is. And if that's what it becomes, if my primary role becomes enforcement um, and catching people as opposed to um, helping people reach their potential, I, I couldn't see myself doing this for a living. It seems to me that the students are the ones who are um, naive about this, about how much they're damaging who they're becoming by just giving, just throwing their hands up and embracing this stuff. I'm not saying don't embrace chat GPT or what you can get from efficiencies from AI, but I'm saying taking the shortcut to everything, you will wake up when you're 30 or 35 and find you're really not very good at anything. You're really not very smart. You're really not, you have no depth to you. You're not well-read. You're not the kind of person who could occupy a C-suite. You, the only thing you could occupy is something like Frank, where you pretend to have something. You actually lie about, for example, having customers, but you have nothing that's remarkable there. And I think what you'll find is that um, the generation you're a part of is headed for less in terms of who they are and their accomplishments, um, unless they figure out that part of actually accomplishing, part of actually having a meaningful life is becoming someone who has some thickness to them, someone who has some rigor, someone who can actually think, someone who can actually reason. And um, if the goal is just to maximize your score, I mean, fraud's the quickest way to do that, right? I, I heard of a student asking a professor, would they go to, um, would they go to prison or would they just be kicked out of the university if they doctored their transcript? Actually ask, asking a professor that question. Now, if you are there, if you are there, that person has no right, whatever role they're trying to go in, and I know what kind of job they're trying to get, they have no right to be in that job, literally no right to be in that job. They are pure calculators of what would allow me to appear to be what I'm not. And that's fraud, right? The intent to deceive is the definition of fraud, scienter. So um, I think, you know, it's really unfortunate, but my generation did it some, but it keeps growing is this desire where people prefer fantasy to real life. They prefer thinking of themselves as something they're not to actually trying to become something of substance because it's much easier to do that to pretend you're something that you're not which is what these folks who are you're talking about the under the 30 under 30 or whatever folks who've been guilty of fraud you know sam bankman fried wasn't capable of running a company elizabeth holmes did not have a product that actually would have accomplished what she wanted to accomplish it and charlie from frank really didn't have anything at all really didn't have anything at all right but it's, it's fun to pretend you're something you're not and to get rich doing so. And that's the thing that validates these people is they get rich pretending they are what they're not. And even though they may be someone, something substantial, they're bright, they're, they could be a lot of things. They're not willing to go through the work necessary to become something genuine. So they pretend to be something, they get away with it, they get rich, and, and then they, it comes crashing down. But I'm sure there are a lot of people that hasn't come crashing down for it. They just are pretending to be something they're not, and they get rich doing so. And I'm just saying disproportionately, 
all of us do it, but disproportionately the younger generation rewards that. They reward people for being something that they're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I don't know. It's, it's, I guess it's kind of concerning to me, like sometimes like just like hearing about the different things that people do. I don't know. I've, I've never like used any of those things to cheat on my exams or anything, or I actually took most of like my exams during COVID. I would take them at the testing center. Um, and so then I would always like be in person. I was at my little desk. It was just me in a room. Like there was, so that was never like a thought that had crossed my mind. I guess like even the opportunity within college to have that. Um, but it's, it's con kind of concerning to me because all these fraud is now uncovering and they've accounted for almost, it was, I think the statistic was they raised about $5 billion from investors. And now the fraud uncovered is worth or has been worth $19 billion lost. And so I guess just having those like, those numbers it's kind of concerning to me in terms of the future of business and especially going into a profession such as accounting where trust is basically the biggest the biggest factor in why we have a job and people trusting us to do our job correctly um that that's kind of a frightening i guess statistic to me like watching it go i don't know what the five billion and the 19 billion are referring to exactly james but, you know, and if you want to clarify that, that's great. I just have a thought. Yeah. The, uh, so uh, um, between Sam Bankman-Fried, Elizabeth Holmes, um, Trevor okay. Milton and Charlie. Okay. Okay. Um, they were, they they were able to raise. raise five, five yes. Yeah. Sorry. And then. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me, let me say this. My experience changed in COVID when I had to actually supervise those exams you're describing, right? And it gave me a picture of what the brave new world is like. It was me on a, on something like this, zoomed in on a camera, monitoring, watching people take exams like that, right? It, was, it felt like a prison. It felt like I was looking at prison cameras, you know, looking at people in their cells. It was horrifying to me literally horrifying to me to supervise those exams. Now, when I give an exam and you've been in my class, but you know, however you took your exams, you've, my exams, I'm in the room, I'm walking the aisles. I don't mind supervising. I'm, I want to deter people who would be tempted in that situation. I don't mind the normal kind of situation, but looking at that screen, I felt like I was in a dystopian novel while just watching these people. And the reason you have to do it is because people cheat because people have just decided I, it is just as good to pretend to be what I'm not as long as I get the rewards for that as it is to actually become good. And that's not true for my, I still, that's still not true for most students, but it's true for an increasing number of students is an increasing um, proportion of students at A&M who are doing this stuff. And very little moral courage among the student body to actually call it out or to do anything to impede it in case they might want to use it or because it's embarrassing to do it and they're not willing to confront. These are the same people we're going to send out into corporations together, both the people who are willing to do whatever it is necessary to make a number 
and those who are unwilling to confront that. And we're just going to create a bunch of little Enrons out there that are run amok because we have that toxic combination of an increasing proportion of people willing to cheat and do whatever's necessary to satisfy their goals and accompanied largely by people who have no moral courage to actually intervene in that until it's too late. So that to me, that sounds like a, a really negative view. And what, what I would say is I have the opportunity to invest in students in a way through conversation, through the classroom, through speakers that we bring in um, to um, be a countervailing message to that, that your life is really not worthwhile just by getting rich. Your, worth, your life is not really worthwhile by being able to promote everything you do on LinkedIn or by, you know, celebrating yourself, looking in the mirror and celebrating yourself, that the world is meant for us to invest in people and to serve. And to do that, we need to be honest about who we are. And then we need to be really good at what we do because you can't really serve other people unless you're good at something, unless you've got skills to, you know, to contribute. And I think that's where A&M can be different. I don't know if A&M has the heart to be different over the long haul or not. In the past, I think we have. But I, I get this sense of people being overwhelmed by um, not just old professors. I don't mean just people like me. I mean, just people generally being overwhelmed by trying to prevent this kind of behavior because of the massive growth in, in technological capability to actually accomplish fraud, academic fraud and other types of fraud. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I could. I mean, I know your perspective as a professor is probably very different on a lot of like these things, but I could only imagine the amount of things you would have to fact check or use to just even, I guess, keep up with all of like the technology just to make sure everyone is trying to do their own work and be ethical within it. Well, if you look at the two big scandals um, in terms of cheating within the accounting firms, you, you look at what they did in both cases where they were cheating on either internal or external continuing education exams or ethics exams with the CPA, whatever, especially on the internal cheating they were actually leveraging technology to cheat. So they go in and they would change code so that all they'd have to do is make a 25, for example, on a, on a checkup exam, and it would allow them to pass the CPE. They were actually leveraging the technology and their knowledge of the technology to allow themselves to cheat, in addition to just simply passing answers between people within the firm so that they could cheat. Um, so it's not just that it's easier to cheat. It's people who are already CPAs or in the process of becoming CPAs who are deciding I'm going to leverage technology to allow me to cheat. So why would you trust people like this with, for example, an opinion on financial standards? Why would you trust people like this to be honest with consulting projects or tax returns or whatever, you know, if that's what they're willing to do? I, it makes perfect sense that people don't. Right. I guess kind of going into the next the next thing I was hoping to ask a little bit about is like there is a declining number of CPAs and 
account, like people pursuing accounting as a major or a master's. Um, and that's been a trend year over year. And so do you think, I guess, this has fueled that? Or do you see that profession, I guess, or I guess the accounting professions going back to the numbers that I had maybe in the early 2000s in terms of the number of people? Within- I think what I think what you have is um, is people who come into the business school in particular focused on how I can maximize cash flow in my life. And so if that's your measure, and if in accounting we can't give a vision for why the profession matters, why it matters to be trusted, why we are important to the markets, um, if you don't cast that other vision, then it's perfectly rational for fewer people to come into public accounting, not just because it's hard work or whatever, but you're not getting paid as much. They can go into a number of finance roles, for example, and make way more money, but they can actually go into other, and certainly they can go into IT types of roles and make way more money. So even the ones who come into accounting programs often will move toward consulting or advisory practices because they're higher paying or they're perceived as more interesting. But it's as much, I think, that they're higher paying as that they're perceived as more interesting, to be quite honest. So, you know, we say, well, I, I think, are there solutions? Yeah. Well, pay what you should pay is what I would say to the accounting firms. Pay what you should pay if you want to have people actually uh, want these jobs. But also, you know, please, you know, it's kind of I feel like I'm on in my last plea on this. I'm at that stage of my career where it's kind of a last to the to the big four, to the accounting profession broadly, to the AICPA. Make this something that has meaning. Make this something where we really make a difference, where you're going to hold people high standard, just like we should throw them out of the university. You get the heck with the F-star stuff. We need to throw some people out of the university. We need to throw some people out of our professional program or throw some people out of maze for the consequences to convince those people. And I think that's a step we should take. But as a profession, we've got to give people hope that yeah, really, mean, we mean it. We want to be competent and we want to be people of integrity. We want the markets to operate. Otherwise, you're going to get, I mean, with crypto, you still can't audit crypto. No audit firm. None of the big four are auditing crypto. They're not giving financial statements. They are not auditing financial statements for crypto companies, period, the big four. Why is that? Is it because there's no money in that? No. They're unauditable for the most part at this point. The firms don't know how to do it. So we need to get the competence up to do that. But if you audited a crypto firm, I wouldn't trust you. If you were, if you thought right now you could audit a crypto firm, I wouldn't trust you because I don't think the profession has made a case for that they are only going to do things that they're really fully capable of doing. We've seen some mid-sized firms who've dipped their toes into the crypto world and now they're running for the shore because they see what the liability is, but they were more than willing to go lock arms with the crypto thing because they thought that's where cash flow was. Uh, the same same uh, 
kind of stuff with SPACs, you know, people just embracing SPACs when they're an obvious bad deal. There are obvious um, moral hazards in those things. And yet people just embraced them and kissed them on the lips for two years. And now they're fleeing them, right? Because of the lost value and what people lost. I just think, I think the accounting profession um, has just punted away its ability to be different from the rest of the business world of just maximizing cash flow. And the thing about it is what I want to commend Gen Z for is so many of my students want to do something that has purpose. So many of my students want to do something that matters or is meaningful. And almost none of us on the faculty are able to cast that vision. And almost zero of the big four can cast that vision for how you'd have really a meaningful career, one that really made a difference for society, um, for the good. Right. I guess for, I guess, speaking about your career and profession, what would you say is brought the most meaning? It could can be, I guess, more of like a personal reason or like if there's something that you took away from your like years in accounting and experience, um, what has been the biggest impact or I guess left the, the biggest personal reason for waking up and wanting to do your job? Um, yeah, looking at my students, I, you know, looking at their faces, right? You know, my students now, you know, I've been teaching long enough that my students are, you know, in big roles, you know, and are making big differences. It's just the thing that has had the most meaning is relationships with students that have carried on through the years. Um, so I have had, I have had almost no success in changing anything about either the accounting profession, the AICPA, or the big four. Almost no success whatsoever. Um, and if that was my meaning, I would be in deep trouble right now in trying to count what my what my professional career counted for, what it mattered for. But there's a selection of people who continue to encourage and inspire me with the way they live their lives, with the way they are um, choosing to act professionally, with the people they're mentoring and taking under their wings with the way they raise their families or love their spouses, with the way they live their lives. Those people that are out there um, who are all over the place, those people are the people that make me sense that my life was well invested and that even the career part of my life, which is not the most important part of my life, but has occupied a big chunk of the time in my life that the career part of my life was worth doing, but it's the people. Without those people, um, there's nothing about my my impact on the profession has been, you know, minimal. But my impact on individual lives, we'll see. I'm hopeful that some of that has made a real difference. Well, I can, speaking from my my experience so far, the last year I've gotten to, know you through the classes it's definitely changed my my viewpoint on a lot of things and I really I'm taking the ethics class I'm really enjoying like the the deeper I guess thought process like not just the what's happening but 
thinking a little bit more about why and how we can develop our values as a person to have that moral compass and know what's like crossing a line in terms of when to make a decision and not. So, you know, if we learn, if, if we learn from the past, which is one of the things that class gives us the opportunity to do, you've had, you've gotten here for some pretty powerful speakers, folks who have been in the midst of that on both sides. Um, if we can't learn from the past, we're doomed to repeat it, right? And I just see us at a breakneck pace headed for repeating the things that, that we've learned about, that I've taught you about. I, I've seen this movie before, right? And it's the thing I try and make people aware of. Um, we are heading straight for that and at a rapid clip. And the desire, the deep desire to be rich and I mean, fabulously rich, not not be able to provide for my family kind of stuff or, you know, be able to retire at 65 or whatever. I'm talking about fabulously rich, the desire to be fabulously rich, um, the unwillingness to control that, to make that the ever consuming passion of life. That plus what happens in technology and the rapid ascent of technology without brakes on it without any kind of moral breaks that say, could this be a bad idea? That combination means I think we're going to have rapid cycles of the kinds of things that we saw slowly in the past. And you're going to see rapid cycles of these 30 under 30 types of experiences. And what I would say is you just have to be skeptical about anybody who's deeply successful young, because it's much more likely than in the past to be phantom to be something that is just fantasy that people have embraced. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's definitely, definitely interesting, like, to think about, I guess, the, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't really, like, knowledgeable, I guess, whenever the scandals were happening in the past, or, like, what was going on in the world whenever that was happening. Now, it's all just retrospective, looking at it, um, but yeah, getting to, it's definitely changed my, changed my viewpoint and opinion, like watching some of these frauds be uncovered in real time and having like a better understanding and ability to kind of under, like know what, what was going on and what went wrong and all of that. It's definitely, definitely interesting. That's why I was, I really appreciate you taking the time today to kind of talk about it. That was, I wanted to focus on the fraud and I guess the ethics ethics aspect of it, um, just I feel that's such a big problem nowadays that we see keep reoccurring in the market. And so I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. I know we're at the at the end and you have other things to get to this morning. Um, but thank you so much for meeting with me and talking with me today. And so I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you later today. Happy to do it, James. Thanks for asking. I hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks.